Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. This is Steve King. I'm the Managing Director at Cyber Theory, and today's podcast is going to feature Stan Golubchik, who's the founder and CEO of ContraForce, a company whose mission is to simplify security tools and then aggregate the results of what goes on in the computing environment and provide small to medium-sized businesses with the ability to manage and improve their cyber resiliency without the need for expensive human resources or or even additional software. So ContraForce was created as a way to enable little guys to have the same cybersecurity protection as much larger companies without a great deal of knowledge about the cyber attack world, which we've all heard before, but I know it's different here. So Stan, could you explain how your platform works? Yeah, Steve, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Uh, it's a privilege to be here and being able to speak about this. We think you know it's a really big problem. As you kind of alluded to in the market today, this is something that you know I think multitude of companies have hit their head against the wall for quite some time trying to be able to figure out this conundrum and this formula of how do you go and break into the small and medium business market and build a solution that can scale and meet the demands of the market without losing your pants financially, right? So for us, you know, the platform is really driven through a self-service model from a go-to-market business perspective. We built it where we wanted to ensure that customers could essentially self-service and we can use a product-led growth strategy. That was critical for us because it allows us to be able to focus on really valuable security content, security engineering, and the customer, customer success piece. You know, we see some very advanced and complex enterprise tooling systems that take a lot of professional services to implement, get optimized, and then manage for the lifetime of that software subscription. So we wanted to get customers away from that kind of management and then just focus on the security outcomes and value. So a customer can essentially onboard themselves in about 15 to 20 minutes. We made the integration with the existing controls we have integrated today, a lot of which are Microsoft. That can be done in a few clicks. And then that data in the threat intelligence and security visibility starts streaming into that customer's platform within about 20 or 30 minutes. And we'll start showing them attacks that they may have not seen across their cloud environment, their network endpoint, their identity providers, and even SaaS applications. Because we know that customers are now really going through a accelerated digital transformation. So we need to support that migration process and that journey that they're taking on. So the platform will help give them that comprehensive 360-degree visibility of all those threats across their entire attack surface. And then very importantly, we also provide them context on how to respond and remediate. And it's not just telling them what's going on or how to fix it. We actually give them the automation workflows to do those actions. And that's really important because customers really struggle with that piece. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it sounds fantastic. And you've you've gone after the 800-pound gorilla with Microsoft Office 365 customers initially. What about other tools and products that that someone might want to integrate with um, ContraForce? And and what does that take in the way of you know technical skills to do that? Yeah. So you're you're right, Steve. Right now, you know, we're focusing on customers that 
are utilizing Microsoft Office 365 and the 365 suite, you know, eight to nine out of 10 customers in the small, small to medium business segment, they use that license suite and they get a lot of value. But the problem that we see is that they don't have an effective way to operationalize, really be able to tune these tools and then comprehensively bring the data that these tools are generating into a unified visible platform. And that's where we really come into play. Now, aside of the Microsoft stack, we actually have an API layer. So we can actually integrate with multitude of vendors today outside of Microsoft. Well, why we do play very well with Microsoft because the content and the integration simplicity, you know, we still understand that customers have a multitude of tools and every customer is very unique, even in the small space. And I think that's a big problem that's predicated and really plague the industries that when you go off with these smaller customers, you know, they're not turning over as much revenue for the business, but they have always a distributed stack, right? It's very heterogeneous. They might have vendors that are on the endpoint that are outside of Microsoft, different firewall vendors. Um, they might be multi-cloud. So you, you see this kind of, you know, mixed bag of technology and the problem still is persistent, which is they don't know how to actually get the proper intelligence out of these tools. And that could be a multitude of reasons why. And then understanding when to respond and how to respond. So um, the tools we connect with, it's very agnostic. And we're just trying to essentially help simplify the customer's investments that they have today and focusing on not ripping and replacing. So it's not going to be as painful when they start stepping into more of a mature security program. Sounds great. As you know, I'm sure that there's this huge employment uh, supply demand problem in cybersecurity and whatever it is, 760,000 open positions, but it gets exacerbated if you're a small business, say in Winslow, Arizona or someplace that, you know, hiring uh, and retaining, you know, experienced cybersecurity talent is a real chore there. How necessary is it for your customers to have an experienced security team to, you know, get the most value out of ContraForce? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you're in Winslow, Arizona, or you're from Dallas, Texas, that's where we, you know, we are headquartered out of, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, you might be really resource constrained and you might not have local talent. For us, we knew that it was really critical to be able to enable teams that don't have security expertise. And like you mentioned, Steve, a big reason for that was the skill set and talent gap that we have that's pervasive. So we understood that there is a really a need for a stronger generalist workforce for cybersecurity, and we're moving that way, right? So we look at the cybersecurity workforce today, it's still relatively in its infancy, and there are now more standardized certification processes tools and resources that are being essentially propagated out there for people to use. And it's reducing the barrier to entry to the market to be able to get a job in cyber. But we still know that's going to take time, right? We know the education piece, and I know you know you're a big proponent of that, is it's moving, the flywheel is gaining more and more speed and momentum. But in the meantime, we already have people that are in businesses that are IT professionals. They have a strong network knowledge, they have a strong IT operational knowledge. And that's all they really need to be able to get value out of ContraForce because we want to simplify and abstract the complex nuances when you start thinking about security operations. And that really comes down to a few things, which is, you know, security alert triage, investigation, 
evidence gathering, and then building a conclusion on an investigation. Those are very complex, high-level tasks that typically take like a level three analyst, a level two analyst. And, you know, we wanted to abstract that and just give the conclusion immediately to the end user without them having to be an expert. And that's just by giving them plain English context of what's happening, the users, the assets, the entities that are impacted. And then how do you respond to be able to essentially cut off that window for the bad actors? So they don't, they don't need a high level of skill set. We want to make sure that we can actually start to help bridge them into higher thinking when it comes to cybersecurity context and understanding you know, how the threat actors are actually working. So you want to kind of say, hey, you know, don't don't worry about what's going on underneath the the covers here. Uh, we're taking care of it, and here's the sort of simple English language version of what we've discovered, huh? Yeah, that's a much more succinct way of saying that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it makes sense. Sure, you recently uh, expanded into Africa, right? Why there? What's your strategy for international growth? Is that part of it? Yeah, honestly. You know, that wasn't really a focus for ours. Like we weren't proactively going out and reaching to other continents. You know, we we knew that, you know, from a initial go-to-market, the United States had plenty of opportunity while still competitive. But we actually had partners coming out of the sub-Saharan African region and Indian Ocean region coming to us and saying, look, we love what you guys are doing. You know, we we kind of really focused and made a 180 turn the past two quarters on the Microsoft story. And when we did that, the resonating impact of that was pretty profound. Those partners coming out of Africa came to us saying, look, we see pretty much every business here using Microsoft. They don't know how to get the most value out of it. They are not keeping themselves secure. So we need help to essentially make that management automated. We need to scale it out. We need the expertise. And they saw what we, we built from a product perspective. So they saw a good way to be able to journey toward these customers, tell them a story of how we can automate security operations to use those tools they have today, because you know Microsoft has honest, obviously penetrated that continent and be able to actually up-level the security capabilities of the non-existent security experts in that space. So we were really pleased and really excited to see regions coming to us understanding the mission, the vision, and the value for the customer more importantly, and then bring that back over there. And the nice thing with Microsoft and their existing distribution and channel partnership ecosystem is that they're already established there. And while we've seen other vendors, you know, struggle getting into different regions, working on the backbone of the channel partner program that Microsoft has developed allows us to actually get into market internationally effectively with very little friction. So that's a really nice thing to have. But down the road, we definitely want to expand this across many continents. You know, we understand that this is a global problem. This is not just domestic here in the United States. And it's only going to get further exacerbated, especially as we see, you know, more of a, you know, dissolution of actual work from home and remote capabilities and digitalization. So for us, you know, I think this is going to be just the tip of the iceberg as we move forward. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned education and yeah, we've got this initiative called cybered.io that we're launching this month. And some of our audience, generally speaking, is interested in how these careers get developed. So 
in terms of your career before starting ContraForce, you started out in network engineering at a what medical equipment company in Texas, and then kind of moved into cloud security roles at McAfee and Armor. How much of a benefit has your you had an undergraduate degree, I think, in business management and molecular biology? Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. How much of a benefit has that been to your career? And if you had to do it all over again, what would you change? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how much that actually translated over to cybersecurity. I was actually doing things right, uh, like organic chemistry, A and P, very yeah. much on the uh, you know the pre med side. I mean, the yeah. benefit the benefit of that that might translate over to some degree is just kind of understanding system orientation from a bio- biological to a computational side of things. And you still have a pretty strong STEM background. So that did translate, you know, with math and some science. Now, if I were to do it again, would I go down the same path if I knew I was going to continue to venture into cybersecurity? Probably not. I I think there was other resources that I would take. There was definitely good learnings and education that I gained from it. But this is, I think, the beautiful thing, Stephen, you know, with your initiative that you're also launching, I, I think the education piece with cybersecurity you know, if people out there listening are looking to get into the space, there's no better time. And I'm sure that people have heard that before, but I really mean that it's due to the fact that we have so many available resources at our fingertips. You know, even 15 years ago, if I had the same resources I have today to learn cloud computing, which I know really wasn't a thing back then at the, at the scale that it is today, or, you know, InfoSec and GRC, all these, you know, really robust domains, it would be a different story. You you and I would be talking about how I actually started this pathway back in the day, right? I, I think there's just an amazing opportunity to be able to capitalize and really leverage such fantastic resources that we have available today. So I, I am also a big proponent of not, you know, looking in the back in the past and saying, I'd like to do it differently. I like to just say, look, that happened for a reason. And it was, you know, probably lessons learned to be able to understand I won't go down that path or how I can do something a little bit more holistic, holistically. So I think there's still great learnings. It didn't exactly translate one-to-one in the field I have today, but there was definitely some, you know, indirect value that I, I pulled out of that overall process and education. Yeah, sure. I'm sure there is. And, you know, one, one of the you know, commonalities there with with STEM and molecular biology is that all of those all of those fields of study are, you know, reliant upon a, an organizational structure within that's actually very system-like, right? Regardless of whether it's mathematics or, or what have you, and all of that, I'm sure, you know, provides the kind of background that, in terms of critical thinking, that enables you to extrapolate the stuff that you need to understand how a network behaves, for example. And I personally think that. You know, you the best uh, cybersecurity guys have a background in network engineering. So, which I, you know, I believe that's because I think it's impossible to, you know, to run a cybersecurity organization unless you understand what's going on in the network. So, in any event, you guys were able to, you got through Y Combinator, which was pretty amazing. I think that uh, their acceptance rate is something like one tenth of a percent in terms of the folks that they uh, kind of allow into their accelerator. Do you attribute a lot of your success to that acceptance at Y Combinator? You know, I, I do actually. And I'll, I'll be completely honest. Initially, you know, we were a little reluctant because joining YC when they actually first offered 
for us to join the cohort for summer for the summer batch. You know, I've told this to some people and they're a little shocked. They go, you know, you guys were actually like deliberating. I'm like, well, yeah, because, you know, what we did is we took a step back and said, look, you know, Y Combinator, they're amazing at what they do. They have the track record that proves that they know how to be successful with most of the companies they work with. But when we looked at their portfolio of companies they worked with, cybersecurity wasn't exactly their strong point, right? But we knew that we had to take a little bit of a different approach. We needed to be unorthodox, right? We needed to look outside the box. And that's where I think we got a tremendous amount of value from YC because the way they look at things, it's really from a ground level perspective of building what people want. And then you start to kind of reverse engineering from reverse engineer from that. And it allows you to actually look externally inward and say, okay, I need to be true to understand the true pain points and building product in the companies that YC works with, they built some of the best products in the world. So we wanted to use that as a great platform to be able to learn from others that have been successful is how do you build a new market potentially, right? How do you build something that is disruptive in the market and really start to challenge the things that have been done in a legacy traditional way? And that mindset, I think, you know, we not only gelled with that very well when we worked with those group partners in the YC community, but it allowed us to even be pushed further and think further outside the box. And I think that's what we need is the fact that cybersecurity, right? And it's it's always, you know, trying to chase the silver bullet, which we do, we know does not exist. And so you're always trying to, you know, build the next tool that's going to maybe edge out the adversary. There's a reason why some of these very distinct and difficult problems and market segments haven't been tackled in cybersecurity. And I honestly think it's because, you know, it's these companies today that have been trying to tackle the problem or the ones in the past have been doing a very traditional sense, right? As an example, if you're like a traditional managed security service provider, you know, you can't go after that market. You're not going to become profitable. You're not going to make revenue. You're going to die on the vine. So YC really starts to change and dissolve the way in which you think about looking at customer problems, understanding pain points and challenges. And it was a really nice way to be able to, again, challenge that process. And at the end of it, you know, we came out for the better with a new outlook on, you know, building a company and a product that we knew people would gravitate towards. Of course, we need a little bit more time and investment at that, at that point in Jecture. But overall, I think it was a great process. And it teed us up really nicely for you know our next VC round that was led by Data Tribe. So um, that happened actually three months after we finished with YC. So we definitely I think attribute a lot of that success uh, with working with that group and team there. So it was, it was a great experience overall. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably also a little bit like the Ivy League looks at feeder schools too, right? Where if yeah. you're coming out of YC, then that's a stamp of approval that you've. You know, you've gotten a solid boot camp training, kind of. So that's always nice. When we look around the space, and yeah, I mean, I think we're on the verge of having lots of serious mental health issues around the CISO role today. And as a former CISO, and I'm glad I'm not in that seat today because when I did it, it was far less complex than it is today. You know, you you actually, if you can scale what you do, you kind of have the holy grail. What parts of that that you do today for you know that little company in wherever Dallas? How can that be leveraged into you know useful solutions for maybe not you know 
JP Morgan Chase, but you know, larger companies that have multiple branch offices, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And you know, I still work and talk with a lot of CISOs on a weekly basis. And like you said, it's it's unfortunate. You know, we're seeing legal issues that are causing CISOs to take a step back and say, how much liability can I redact from my 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 involvement and my engagement with an organization? And I think it's a shift of, you know, I even had a lunch with CISO this past Friday and leaving his organization as a full-time, he's now taking on just fractional CISO work because it helps him put a layer between him, the organization from a liability perspective, right? Because he can essentially be on his own terms and contract. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see people understanding that the risk isn't worth their mental sanity. It's not worth the financial risk or the legal risk. So they're going to kind of work on that peripheral aspect of you know the business in a sense. And I think the way we can help them down the road is that, look, we're working downstream, right? Uh, supply chain issues are becoming more of an issue. We know that you know we have a rapidly growing digitized economy. So how do we ensure that? We can provide every single organization, you know, from 10 employees up to 500 and beyond that they are secure. So when they go work in the supply chain and they are working through distributed data and potentially sharing infrastructure, making sure they're secure, right? And they're not essentially a backdoor for a threat actor to get up into a large enterprise organization. So we're seeing, you know, obviously the uptick and adoption of software build of material solutions, you know, we're seeing supply chain, uh, supply chain risk management solutions. And I think that's where we play really, really well is being able to actually accumulate all this intelligence that's really hive-like community intelligence where we can see a profile of a small business with a specific tool stack and then helping the and that intelligence be shared with a similar company, maybe in a different vertical, but has a similar risk profile. And by going down that kind of thought process, we can start to map and understand the risk for each one of these companies as we go and help them work with larger enterprises. And the enterprises are, I think, going to start shifting and stop stop asking, hey, I just need to see a SOC 2 audit, right? Or ISO 27001 certification. Those compliance standards are great baselines. But you know this, Steve, it's compliance is the outcome of security. So for us, we want to focus on the hard piece is really securing, you know, the internal sensitive data and infrastructure of these actual small, medium businesses as they start to handle and become the custodian of the data of these large enterprises, which at the end of it, hopefully that will help the CISOs manage the risk at a more comprehensive level when they're working with hundreds to thousands of these smaller businesses and not knowing if they're actually secure and they pose a risk or not. So we're kind of working from a bottoms up approach. And I, I think over time, you know, we are focusing on giving the CISO confidence that these companies pose this risk and then they need to make the decision if that's within their risk appetite. So I think the data that we are accumulating today and that we will continue to do so in the future will be very well served to help those CISOs rest a little better at night. Yeah, and that would be terrific. Your comment about liability is very uh, current as well, of course, because of the Joe Sullivan case, and then you know followed up a few days later in terms of uh, sentencing, anyway, and the motion to dis to dis yeah. set aside by the Drizzly, you know, situation. 
I'm not sure either of those are going to be able to withstand a legal challenge. And somebody used to have a chat with uh, Ms. Khan over there at the FTC <laughs> and explain what the hell's going, how the real world works, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll be waiting for that. But if a marketer, which, oh, yeah, we are actually, aren't we, might characterize your business model with a headline like, Democratizing cybersecurity has finally arrived. I get the impression that you're seriously mission-driven, though, right? From a pure Stanley Stanislaus point of view, what is your immediate and uh, longer-term goal, and where do you expect to be in, I don't know, five years or something? Yeah, no, that's that's really spot on, Steve. I, I mean, I, I always kind of been more of a very mission-oriented and driven individual, and I, I think that's just a necessity. I mean, kind of just how I was raised and I grew up, given a lot of opportunity in a place that you know was foreign for my family. Uh, when we came here from overseas, I think that mission of being able to come and have an opportunity to be able to do something better and kind of give back and be able to provide profound value to others is something that's been ingrained for me for a while. And, you know, with ContraForce, it was no different. You know, it was being able to actually go after a dream, build a company, and then really give value to people and companies and businesses. And that's really what we drive towards. And, you know, when we talk about democratizing cybersecurity, you know, sometimes I get, you know, head scratches and sideways looks and they're like, well, what the hell does that mean? Right. So that is, I think, very much the long-term vision goal. And, you know, the way I look at it from a long-term perspective is that I believe it needs to be a utility, right? Today, you know, we're seeing cybersecurity, you know, as the fifth dimension of warfare. We're seeing it also as a very disruptive, but yet also as a innovative, productive leverage point that we can utilize in every single business. So it's really up to us to take a utility like that and harness it in a way for productive good across the masses and make sure that we have a safe and civil society to be able to do what we need to without you know critical infrastructure being actually disrupted. And critical infrastructure goes beyond just OT, IoT. Um, it goes into small and medium businesses. You know, if 50% of these businesses are constantly being bombarded, breached, and down in six months and out of business, that is going to have economic disruption, right? So that's really the long-term goal is to be able to provide it as a utility where really any business can turn it on and it's almost default on, right? And that's, I think, critical for them. And then from a short-term perspective, you know, we, we want to be able to really focus on telling a simple message on some of these really profound vendors that are building tools. And I'll give you an example, you know, with Microsoft, we've talked about that, obviously, you know, it's in Microsoft, you know, we know this, especially in the cybersecurity space, you know, we've been along, we've been around long enough. It's not always everyone's favorite vendor, right? When it comes to security. And, you know, we understand why, you know, maybe somebody can point out the vulnerabilities and patch Tuesday, et cetera, but we know that they still have massive intelligence. They have massive R and D and they put investment into it and they really care about it. And you know, I think all the cloud vendors out there are doing the same thing in their own right and their own niche. So we really wanna be able to focus on that in the near term to make sure that we can really capture that market, but more so support those customers that are struggling around being able to secure that stack. So we will be prescriptive on picking these stacks as we grow and expand and kind of looking at as you know every vendor stack is kind of a new framework for us right it's almost like you know building a new compliance attestation tool but we're doing it around cybersecurity readiness and resilience and starting with one stack and we'll keep essentially hitting every single domino until we get all those rows knocked over 
and go towards that long-term vision around the uh, democratization of it. Yeah. What is uh, Windows up to 50, 50 million lines of code now? Something like that. Yeah, that's crazy. I, uh, as much as we criticize Microsoft for having the, you know, the mother of all uh, Trojan horses in Active Directory, uh, and that seems like it's never going to end. It just keeps going on and on and on. However, you know, if you had a product that was virtually impossible to figure out, you know, <laughs> how all of the dots connect internally, um, you know, what would you do, right? You, you, yeah. Yeah. So, so I cut them some slack, but, uh, you know, but you're right. It's a challenging world that we live in, but, you know, it gives you a tremendous opportunity to scale your product up and be very successful as you've so far been. So that's great. You know, Stan, where I'm conscious of the clock here, and I want to thank you for spending the time that you have with us uh, this morning. Uh, it's been uh, educational and entertaining for, for me, and I hope that that's true for our audience as well. And, and I appreciate you taking the time. No, Steve, it's been a pleasure. And thanks for the fantastic questions. And, you know, I always appreciate your thought leadership and how you look at the industry as well, too. It's very pragmatic but also very aware. So it's always nice talking to you. And thanks again for having me. Well, it's very nice of you to say that. We should reconvene in a six or nine months as to see where things have gone. And uh, I'll ping you around that time frame, and let's we can do it again. Yeah, I'd love to. Absolutely. All right. Great. Thanks again, Stan and uh, ContraForce and our audience for taking time out of their day. And I hope you found it was entertaining as well, folks. This is Steve King. Until next time, signing off. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.